This is Packer and Durham on ACCN and Sirius XM Channel 371. Packer and Durham, pre-power hour is upon us. Continue to stream live on the ESPN app. Number for the program is 844-SAY-ACCN. We just finished up our uh, Packer and Durham U.S. Open draft. That begins today, and Brookline will be an incredible mm-hmm. event. It always is. We appreciate Curtis Strange. You joined us yesterday kind of break it down for us and have some fun. We talked a little Virginia football in hour number one. We've got a topic which fans can jump on. Uh, the players you wish could play one more year and what that could have potentially meant with name, image, and likeness if it existed when they played. It all started with a Michael Vick conversation mm. with Rich Eisen and some of our tweets, and uh, we got more great guests coming your way in the next two hours. All right, 844-SAY-ACCN. Bill in Florida with some thoughts on this. Bill, good morning. Welcome. Hey, good morning, Westpac. How y'all doing? Good. Good. uh, I'm a Miami Hurricane fan, and I played there and what have you. And uh, you were talking about uh, uh, Reed and uh, the linebacker, Lewis, Lewis, and they're great football players. But I think if Bernie Kosar would have had one more year, he probably would have won the Heisman Trophy. But God, he he wouldn't have had to play in the NFL if he wanted money. He was he <laughs> he was the god of Miami. Trust me, in 1983 and in '84, and uh, it was him and Marino. But he was right up there with Marino. Marino hadn't won anything yet. Bernie had won a national championship, first one, which is always the most right. pronounced. He could do no wrong. So I don't even think he'd have needed an agent as smart as he was. He could have handled it himself. But I just wanted to throw that out there. I I had the good fortune no, to a, see him every day in practice and in the games. And most phenomenal, intelligent football player I've ever been around. Bill, that's a good yeah. call. Uh, I think I've told this story it's a before. a real good call. Uh, I was in the Orange Bowl the night they beat Nebraska. And, man, was that a football game. And one of the all-timers. And that started the incredible run by Miami football as far as national championships. And, again, the uh, late, great Howard Schnellenberger, who why he's not in the College Football Hall of Fame is beyond me, other than that stupid 60% rule. But that started it, man. And, man, the rest is history with what the Canes were able to pull off about the next 20-some-odd years. An amazing run. And they're looking to get back to that stardom again with uh, Coach Cristobal down there in the new era and the new regime. Yeah, I. Um, it's interesting he brings up Bernie Kosar pack because I got a. I'm gonna gather your list may have a little old school to it. We talked about my list at the uh, in the first hour. Your list got a little old school to it. Well, you know, again, normally you and I do not uh, exchange notes when we come up with lists. Uh, but I saw yours after I put mine together. I was like, no, 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 I got to redo mine because there's too many similarities. You and I were thinking, <laughs> you and I were thinking very similar as far as the name. So I came up with some different, and I tried to go different eras, different everything, just to provoke our listening audience or viewing audience where they can participate with us. So I'm going to give you a handful here. Um, Zion was too easy with the Duke thing because I would have, I was on my list. So I'm going to go with a guy that you can watch play tonight. And man, has he turned into a great pro. And you Ooh. knew he would. Ooh. How about Jason Tatum from Duke? And even after just one year, 
at Duke, you're like, man, this guy's got some special on him, right? This guy just looked like yep. he's going to be one of those dudes, and that's exactly what he's turned into. Uh, God-given skills, he's worked his tail off. But uh, Jason Tatum would have been a guy, in my opinion, had he come back for another year and another year and another year, uh, what would he have turned into? Could he have been Len Bias-like? Just saying. Just I'm just mm-hmm. putting that one out there because I, I thought he was going to be that kind of guy and obviously just a great, great pro. Uh, now I'm going to go old school yeah. on you, Wes. All right? Old okay. school. And, and I mean, you got to go in the way back machines. I thought I would do something totally different. Uh, I'm going to go Clemson basketball. And I know you're thinking, holy mackerel, Pack, who are you dreaming up? How about Skip Wise? Now, for old yep. school ACC fans, you'll know exactly yep. who I'm talking about. Phil Ford was the legendary figure at North Carolina, the great point guard and all that stuff. But I think you could have made the case that Skip Wise at Clemson was that kind of dude. He just wasn't surrounded with the same kind of talent Phil Ford was. Skip Wise at Clemson was ridiculous. And Mm -hmm. woulda, coulda, shoulda, right? As far as name, image, and likeness, what would have been the case had he been able to have been surrounded with those teams? And I think Tate Slock was the guy back then. But man alive, Skip Wise was a freakazoid on the court. He was way ahead of his time. Yep. How about that pick? Yep. I love Skip Wise. I think that's a terrific pick because he was first team all ACC and a guy whose meteor was getting ready to go out of the solar system in terms of college basketball. And he elected to go hardship to the NBA. And, you know, it's not a it's not a very – pleasant finish but when he played he was as good an athlete as the ACC had it's not even close and um, you know we, we Clemson gave you two great players like that in that era pack you remember they gave you skip wise and they gave you Stan Rome in that same kind of era of uh, five to seven years and that's the kind of thing I'm, but skip wise was like that's a guy you're like watching going whoa wait a second where'd that guy come from type deal yep it had skip wise gone to a quote-unquote blue blood he'd have been one of those dudes oh. just just telling you yep Gu- guaranteed lock so i, I went old school with mm-hmm. you on that um i'm gonna give you another yep. name of a guy um that i just loved when he played at north carolina i, I wish he would have played at north carolina longer to be honest with you because he just yeah. th- he just looked like he was going to be spectacular Right, and I still remember putting him on. I think he put a half a hundred or forty on Clemson in the ACC tournament. But how about Harrison Barnes? Mm-hmm. Harrison Barnes, yep. just all world kid coming out of Iowa, uh, was just ridiculously smooth, man. Just smooth. Yep. Right, could score. Just yep. looked like he could light you up any point in time. If you wanted to get twenty five on you, that's exactly what he was going to do. Loved Harrison Barnes. Yeah, the Black Falcon. Um, had a flair for the big shot, didn't he? I sure mean, did. Played a couple of years and had an unbelievable rookie campaign. You mentioned the ACC tournament against Clemson. Uh, remember he hit the big shot. We just showed the clip to win at Florida State. Um, just seemingly smooth. Has had a – he's won an NBA title. Was on the first Warriors uh, NBA championship team. 
uh, and it's kind of bounced a little bit with Dallas and Sacramento and places like that. But uh, no question, had he stayed one more year, holy mm. smokes, what that would have been like. No question. Again, on my list, it's I, had, I did a total fake left go right because Wes and I, our, our lists were so similar. I just said, all right, I'm going to do something totally different. Uh, this is a totally different response. And my next one is a guy that did not play in the ACC, but now currently is an ACC fixture. And that is mm-hmm. Pearl Washington. The late, yep. great Pearl Washington. And, man, could this dude play. And, again, the ACC Big East rivalries were just ridiculous in the 80s. So good. So many great players, coaches, mm-hmm. teams, moments. But Pearl Washington, man, he, to me, was just one of those guys when Cuse played, he's just going to see what the Pearl is yep. going to do, right? I can't believe he's not with us anymore. Yep. But, man, could he play. One more year, man. Mm-hmm. Give me one more year of Pearl. So spectacular. Yeah. Um, All right. Uh, you're going to take me through your honorable mentions here? Yeah, I'll quickly do this. Um, and, and I gave – I wanted to go a little football because you got to go on, you know, Trevor Lawrence, Deshaun Watson. Mm-hmm, and while sure. we're in that era, how about Lamar Jackson? Yeah. I mean, I know he wasn't no going to stay one more year after he got – yeah, listen, he wins the Heisman, catch you later. But I go back to this game. Man, this game's one of the best games you'd ever want to see in the history of ACC football yep. with Louisville and Clemson. But, man, this guy was an automatic A. If Louisville's playing on television, what's number eight going to do next? He can run. He can pass. He was going to make something happen. Twitchy athlete, man. And, oh, is that going to work in the NFL? Yeah, it's going to work in the NFL. Good luck. Good luck with him. Good luck yeah. with Lamar Jackson. Awesome. Uh, two other yeah. guys. Uh, one, I'm going to go Florida State basketball. And he just finished up in an incredible year in the NBA. How about old Scotty Barnes, Florida State? Remember yeah. watching him that first time Terrific I watched him? personality. Oh, great personality. Yeah. Man, he would have – listen, he's making a fortune now. He's going to have great success in the NBA playing for Toronto. But uh, I'd have loved to see him at least one more year at Florida State. I mean, this guy was just super smooth, and God, he's just a baller. Just an absolute baller. Yep. And like you said, great personality, gregarious, uh, infectious smile. No-brainer for name, image, and likeness on top of that. And one more guy. Mm-hmm. I'll give you one more. And this is a guy that when he was in college was a really good player. He's become a superstar on the next level. But what would have happened had Donovan Mitchell stayed at Louisville, right? And talking about a yeah. first-class individual. There's another great guy right here. Yep. Yep. I really enjoyed getting to know Donovan Mitchell when he was uh, at Louisville. He's just a – he's a terrific kid, and he is some kind of player. Mm-hmm. He was really good at Louisville, but, Pac, you're right about the emergence in the NBA. He's just become a star in that star. league. And, uh, you know – be interesting to see just how high he can ride because I, I think he can be one of the top five or ten guys in the NBA year in and year out for sure. Great. So that was my list. That's a, a good list, to- though. You did little, well. A little totally different after I had to do the, uh, like I said, fake left, go right, because you and I were thinking the exact same way. I'm like, no, 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 I can't do the same one. Let me come up with something totally different. So there it is. Maybe that's a little catalyst yeah. for everybody to partake and have some fun with us on that one. There we go. Well, in fact, folks are already uh, – uh, bouncing back to us on social media. Uh, a couple of tweets. Uh, Mike Alpert says, Rashid Wallace and Jerry Stackhouse. That's a good one. Yep. If they'd have come back together, let alone individually. It's a really good one. 
Uh, appreciate that, Mike. Those are those are good answers. Um, let's see. Ben Williams, Chris Bosh. Yeah, because Chris Bosh left and then Georgia Tech went to the national championship game the next year. That's a good one, Ben. You're right. Uh, Bosh was a top five pick of the Raptors. John Phillips, Larry Fitzgerald, and LaShawn McCoy. No question. Larry Fitzgerald for sure. Yeah. One more year. And with NIL, Larry Fitzgerald would have cleaned house. He would have got – that would have been a guy that could have moved the bar. Uh, Ryan says Jordan Addison. (laughs) Yeah. The irony. The irony Uh, of that answer. Yeah, the irony. In this day and age. Yeah, how about that? One more year with Jordan Addison. Yeah, good point there. Uh, Lance says Kobe White. Yeah. I mean, given kind of where Kobe White is and was, yeah, no question. Um, that seemed to be a real all oh, CP3 price Blissett. Yep, Chris Paul would have been that would have been a really interesting one because Chris Paul was on the way to being a national star, and now you see him in commercials and everything else. And a lot of that personality existed certainly uh, coming out of high school. So Buzzweiser says Dennis Scott and Calvin Johnson. Now 3D. 3D would have been your NIL guy for sure. Calvin, it's a little bit more look, like uh, Julius Peppers. Yeah, right a little back? quiet. Yeah, he, he yeah. was kind of to himself and uh, very quiet, understated. Let his game do all the talking, which, uh, by the way, he had some serious yep. game, needless to say. But Dennis Scott Ooh. now, he'd let it rip. He'd let it rip and smile Dennis at Scott. Man, he'd be he'd been your NF, NIL guy for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, when we come back uh, on the way to Omaha yesterday, we got a chance to spend some time with Link Jarrett, the head coach of the Fighting Irish. They play Texas tomorrow night in Game One of the College World Series, and it is next. This is the Packer and Durham Podcast. Packer and Durham on a Thursday, 844-SAY-ACCN is the number for the program. As you well know, tomorrow night, 7 p.m. sharp, Omaha, Nebraska, Mother Nature permitting, of course, Notre Dame and Texas get together. Lance on the back row, got his horns up, ready to roll, but uh, Notre Dame, we'll see if they got something for Texas, West. Uh, by the way, Texas Longhorns have lost – their last four College World Series opening games. Just Ooh. saying. Okay. Just saying. There we go. All right. Uh, Link Jarrett joined us yesterday on the way to practice and then the plane to go to Omaha with his baseball team. And uh, we had a laundry list of things to talk about with the coach, but we started with what was it like to face a dominant team like Tennessee in a win-or-go-home scenario, in case you missed it? We had to find a way to win two games, and we tried to express that to our guys when we knew we, where we were going. And you look at the statistical dominance and the dominance through the SEC we had to win two of the three, and, and our guys embraced that competition. Uh, the versatility of our team, like we've talked about, the versatility of our team, the unselfishness of the pitching staff, that was the difference. And I felt like our guys were built for that moment. 
it's so fun to watch this. You know, some of those videos I, I haven't even had a chance to really enjoy yet, but their engagement in the competition, their work, their understanding that that was probably one of, if not the neatest three game series that the sport has seen. Um, just so proud of them and their work. And the feeling I had when we turned the double play to end it, to watch them enjoy that moment like nothing they've ever enjoyed in athletics. I had the most relaxed feeling I think I've ever had in a dugout coaching just to watch them savor that moment. And I had never felt so calm and so complete for that group of guys. They have been through, but if you look at what we went through in 2020, 2021, and this season and where we've had to go and what they've had to do, I just absolutely ate it up. I'll never forget that feeling. They'll never forget it. And I felt a lot different as a player in that moment than I did as a coach. And I cherish their work and the caliber of people that are in that dugout with us. Phenomenal coaching staff, players, administrators. It takes all of those things to move the needle. And these guys have moved it about as far as you can push it. Link, there is this thought uh, that every piece of this is a step, and you take something off the previous step to the next step. We talked last week about you know playing in Statesboro, and then when we talked about Knoxville, we went back and visited on the Starkville piece from a year ago. Now this is Omaha. This is a whole different deal. How do you process one and carry over to this when it's been 20 years since Notre Dame has been to this venue? Yeah, well – the ball doesn't know. The game doesn't know. Yeah. You, you have to go play the game. And mm. we're going to go to Rosenblatt Stadium as soon as we land today just to let them take this in. Because when you get 50 minutes of practice, it starts and it's over before you ever figure out what's going on. Um, I want them to see it and feel it so that that – thought and embracing the facility and what that facility represents, that's over with. Okay. So that's plan one of how to go about it. And then we're only in this because of the execution and the caliber of play on a national stage. And when you say national, like on a map national stage of where we've had to go. So this is another instance of walking onto a field and having to perform and execute, and let's get the surroundings and the familiarity with what this looks like and feels like out of the way as soon as we can, then lock back in on trying to execute and perform. That's that's how we're going to approach it today. And once we feel through today, we'll assess what feels like the right thing um, heading into the weekend. But these guys will embrace it, and then they'll lock in. Link, uh, last hour, we talked to Curtis Strange, a uh, legendary golfer that won the U.S. Open at Brookline and back in 88. And it's an old-style golf course, and Curtis was always a great grinder. Fairways, greens, two putts, par, let's go. And, you know, par normally is a great score in the U.S. Open. Uh, and I think about your team. 
Great pitching. You got the best team ERA of the eight that are still going. You're going to a ballpark that's going to be completely counter to what you saw in Knoxville, which is a little band box. That, hey, if a ball gets up, man, that thing could get out of here, as you found out, for the good and for the bad, because Tennessee went yard a bunch, especially that Saturday game. And then, of course, you guys take care of business on Sunday going back-to-back in the seventh. So does the question to you is, is your team built – perfectly for this ballpark. I know you got Texas on Friday. They're a great team. Everybody's still standing is hot and playing well, but are you built just right for the ballpark moving forward in Omaha? I've seen it, you know, and I, I got to go watch JT and NC state last year and I watched the games and it is far different than Knoxville far, far different. Um, I think, our stadium, we have a big field. Um, it plays a little bit more like we're going to see in Omaha. It's bigger. Uh, you know, the grass there is usually thick and balls don't shoot through there like you might see at some places. The outfielders have to cover a lot of ground. And there's usually some sort of wind that's in play in the Midwest. So we're used to that. And I think the athleticism of our outfield and the ability to range and catch balls, various angles. You really saw it in every outfield position this past weekend. Hmm. So we are built for that. Um, and then the versatility offensively, when you're playing Texas, they've got, they've got great arms, phenomenal defensive team. You're going to have to try to create within the confines of them, probably not handing you a lot of, extra opportunities so we're built for it but like you said the other teams in this are built pretty good too so then you get into the the subtleties and the nuances within this level of competition um, and that'll be the separator in in the whole championship great stuff as always from uh, link jarrett and the irish and the horns tomorrow night seven o'clock from downtown in Omaha at the College <clears throat> World Series on ESPN. When we come back, two a days continues. We go to the Ville. Our man Mark Ennis is on the scene. Scott Satterfield and Louisville start with an ACC game at the JMA Wireless Dome. Feels big, might be real big when we come back. Packer and Durham. Packer and Durham. We're halfway through show four on uh, 648. Got Robert over here, Captain Ron, Saul Otto during the break. Captain He's Ron doing working well. on drones. Yeah. The, Captain Ron the, working on drones. Everybody's yeah. back in the basement except one guy. Except one guy. That's uh, Voice of the Falcons, 23-time Hall of Famer from the state of Georgia. Not 20. No. Stop. Uh, we got an A-plus guest list today. Mike Barber, in case you missed it, Link Jarrett, NC State quarterback Devin Leary coming up. Jordan Cornette, triumphant return to Packer and Durham. But you know what? Two-a-days at Louisville, there's only one option. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mark Ennis back to this fine program. Thank you very much. 93.9 The Ville, The Drive, all these shows. Uh, Luke Hancock is his valet, not the other way around. We welcome uh, Ennis back to the program. Uh, all right. I just said going to break. Syracuse hosting Louisville week one in the ACC 
feels really big. Is it big? Is it as big for both? I, I know it's big for Louisville. I know it's big for Syracuse. It just feels like a turnkey opening 60 minutes of football for both schools. Oh, I think you're 100% right. And I, I think that uh, Dino's on the, a much shorter leash than maybe Scott is, but neither one of them are in great, secure shape, needing a good start, needing a good season. I think it's especially big for Louisville uh, because they play three times in, in less than two weeks in those first couple of opening weeks. Uh, and they end the season with three really tough games with NC State, Clemson, and Kentucky, uh, all of which they lost uh, a year ago. And the styles of play are really tough for them. It is vital for Louisville to get off to a good start. And they cannot afford in the least to give away a game uh, like Syracuse to start the season. And I think Syracuse is almost exactly in the same situation. Yeah, I think that game is absolutely enormous. Uh, Mark, you know what, though? There seems to be, and you know this better than anybody because you're living it. But there seems to be a sense of, hey, shh, we might be pretty good. Just don't let anybody know about it yet. Yeah. Do, do you get that same feeling? Because I, I feel that way about Louisville football in 22. I, I think there's a quiet confidence that no one's talking about us. We're going to be pretty good offensively, especially that offensive line. Malik Cunningham's back. There's some weapons. Defensively, we're good enough to be dangerous. And you know what? Nobody is laying a, any word about Louisville football in 22. Do you feel the same way? I do think that there's a quiet optimism over there. Uh, and maybe it might even be more uh, general than than this. Like, they have a certain way of doing things. Like, they are hands-on and they are uh, big on, like, being around the guys and just sort of a camaraderie and all that. And COVID just sort of smashed all of that. And I think it has just taken them a long time. Uh, to sort of get back to doing things the way it felt like they did that first year when, when all the buttons they pushed seemed to really work and they way, way overachieved. Yes, I do think there's some real quiet optimism. Uh, the offensive line is, is better than it's ever been since Scott's been here. Uh, they've got a, a very experienced quarterback. Uh, I think that they've made some personnel changes on defense, addressed some of the needs in uh, the transfer portal. And I think that there is a real eagerness to like get just get through the summer and get to these games uh, and show that things are going to be a little bit different this year. But yes, I do think there's a quiet optimism for sure. Uh, Mark, here's the thing. Brian Brown obviously took some heat for where the defense was, but he's still the defensive coordinator. I thought the addition of Wesley McGriff to that defensive coaching staff was huge. Uh, in particular, I think it shores up a secondary that's got some real talent. I mean, Trey Clark's a heck of a player. Chandler Jones has had some moments. Josh Minkins has had some moments. I mean, they got guys back there that can make plays. Lance Taylor coming over on offense just gives Scott another set of eyes in which he puts his system together. I know he was with Pac on the show a couple weeks ago. That It feels like that's a really, really good move as well. Um, do you sense that when you when you go through the spring with them and now in this offseason part where they start talking a little bit with boosters and fans that, that there's that confidence there a little bit? Yeah, and I think that both of those guys that you just mentioned were part of um, a really self-aware effort on Scott's part after the year ended to do some things different and to maybe go intentionally look for some voices that are uh, outside of kind of his normal coaching tree. And I know he knows Lance Taylor, but – you know, they lost uh, and really didn't look great in the Ole Miss game, the Kentucky game, uh, a lot of right. the NC State game, a lot of the Clemson game. Uh, and it was in particular those games against teams that are 
a lot bigger defensively up front or a little bit more physical with them on offense and that sort of thing and saying, we've got to do something a little bit different. We need to bring in voices, one on offense, one on defense here, that are going to bring maybe a little bit different perspective so that some of these games that ended up being extremely close, I mean, they had three games where they lose them on basically the final possession last year or else it's a, it's a nine and three team. You know, but you lost those. You know, and you've got to be able to put those games away. And I think bringing those guys in was part of an, a, a broader effort to change things up just enough to sort of shake loose from just sort of seemingly playing the same game repeatedly, which they did last year. Good enough to win, not good enough in sort of the last minute or two to put some of those games away and win them. All right, so what does mm-hmm. put them over the top? Mark, again, you know, four games by six points or less, you can always play the woulda, coulda, shoulda. Whether you're ten and two or six and six, you you always get to kind of play that game. But I don't think there's anybody going to question that there's a lot of talent on this club, especially on the offensive side. So what is it? Is it going to be a defensive combination, or is it just going to be, hey, the offense isn't going to turn it over? We're just going to outscore people to get to that eight, nine, maybe a magical kind of season. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that they can just say like, "Screw, it, we're going to be like an arena ball team and just outscore people." Like, I just, it doesn't work. Even it, it does not work. The single thing that's going to put them over the top uh, this year, and by over the top, I simply mean getting more than maybe their share of those coin flip kind of games, is on defense. I mean, the bottom line is that against Clemson, they had the lead in the fourth quarter. They did not get the stop they needed against Virginia. They had a seventeen point lead and they couldn't hold it. Uh, and couldn't get the final stop that they needed against Wake Forest. They took the lead or tied that game repeatedly in the fourth quarter and gave the lead right back to Wake Forest uh, when the game, as the game ended. They have to get over the hump in those games where it just comes down to it doesn't matter who's available. It doesn't matter how the game's gone up to now. You've done enough to take the lead. Put your defense out there. Get a stop. Win the game. The teams at the top of the standings do that on an annual basis, and it's the one thing Louisville has not done since Scott's been here is put those games away when the defense gets out on the field. All right. Uh, Mark, I'm going to ask the proverbial, uh, you know, who's better, who's the next guy question here because we all know Malik Cunningham is sensational. He is terrific, and you've already talked about the improvement in the offensive line, which I think is very valid. And I know Scott's excited about that. When I saw him in May, he was pumped up about just kind of where all that was. Who's the next most important player behind Malik Cunningham that's going to have their hands on the ball for Louisville offensively? It's not a name we've talked a lot about because he's a transfer in, but Tyon Evans that came in from Tennessee, the running back, uh, he is the closest thing, if not the real thing, in terms of a home run guy like Javian Hawkins was those first two years that Scott was here. Uh, a little bit smaller guy, uh, shorter guy, but very strong, very uh, powerful runner, but who can take it to the house? You know, last year I felt like the one place that really missed Javian Hawkins was the 15-yard run that you beat one more guy and it becomes a 60-yard touchdown. Javian Hawkins got to be very good at that by the end of his second season in this offense. They didn't have that last year. Guys sort of feeling it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyon Evans can do that. I think he'll end up being the starter by the time the season starts, and he can take it to the house. I think he will be exciting uh, for Louisville to sort of have that home run guy running back again in this offense. 
I'm always curious to get the temperature, and no pun intended since it's on 150 degrees around the southeast right now and everywhere else. Uh, but I'm curious to get the temperature of the Louisville fan base heading into a football season. It seems like there's a little bit more stability now with the athletic department, that things mm, have settled yeah. down, yeah. especially the basketball department, obviously the athletic director situation. And I think Scott, every time we see him, uh, whether it be – you know, Amelia Allen, whatever the case may be. I, I, like I said, there seems to be a, a confidence that, hey, you know what? We're going to be okay. We just got to make sure we, get, we stay relatively healthy and the ball bounces right. But what's the temperature of the fan base heading into Louisville football for the 22 campaign, Mark? What would you guess? It, it's cautiously optimistic. Uh, in particular, that, that a lot of the things that may plagued them the last two years really were to be attributed to kind of the instability and COVID and all that sort of thing. Because the one thing Scott said is like, we need to get sort of personnel up to where it needs to be in terms of assistants and analysts and people that work in recruiting and all that. And once we do, you'll see a difference. And to his credit, they're dramatically improved recruiting in the last year uh, or so. And so there is a, a ton of optimism that Scott, just please do enough to make it a no brainer to keep you to sort of bring this recruiting class that they're putting together right now in, uh, and, and look, he's, they did good things last year and we're close to doing a lot of really good things last year. I think there's cautious optimism uh, that they can sort of get over some of those humps. And I think Scott's done himself a lot of good. You haven't heard his name anywhere after all the South Carolina garbage that happened a couple of years ago. You've not heard his name uh, really being banded about for anything like that at all. I think people believe he wants to be here. It's just a matter of is the, the struggles in close games, the six and six, the seven and fives, like is that a stop on the way to something better or is this just sort of how it's going to be? I think the answer to that question and how everyone sort of feels like Josh Hurd feels about it by the end of the year, that's how this whole thing is going to be decided. Are we going somewhere and we just have to be patient or is this just sort of how it's going to be? If it's the latter, they'll move on. All right. Mark Ennis, 93.9 The Ville. Thank you as always. Great to see you. We'll see you in July. You're coming to Charlotte, right? You're bringing the show to Charlotte. We're going to have a kickoff. Oh, look at that, Pat. Come on now. Hey, one, one, uh, one, one, one suggestion, Mark. Uh, Right. Bring bourbon. You don't have to ask me twice, man. Good. Just want to make sure. I got you. I got you. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Packer will bring the Italian Duolingo. You bring the bourbon. That sounds like a fair (laughs) deal. Thanks, Ennis. Take care, Mark Ennis. I'll bring the Giacco. Nine three nine. The ice. Oh, great. Perfect. Yeah, can't wait. I hope you had a chance last night to see the All-ACC special on Title IX. If you didn't, we've got a quick capsule of it next for you on Packer and Durham. Here's Mark Packer and Wes Durham. Packer and Durham, Thursday edition. Two days are done, but we still have more stuff coming your way, including Devin Leary. Can't wait to talk uh, mm, co- to a uh, quarterback at NC State, man. Could win the Heisman for all we know. Could happen. Yep. Uh, Devin will join us coming up Power Hour. June 23rd is the 50th anniversary officially of Title IX. Last night here on ACC Network, a special feature, an edition of All ACC focused exclusively on Title IX. And it really joins a lot of people who've been impacted by Title IX throughout the history of the ACC and what it means to them and what they're still left to do in promoting women's athletics and supporting women's sports. 
I feel like we still see to this day different women and different girls that are coming out and being the first to do something and, and breaking down those barriers still. What was it like for you when, when you were kind of experiencing that? You know, in the simplest way, I think the transition for me was to socialize my way through um, figuring out uh, how to be competitive and not apologize for it. And I think that's one of my biggest messages with Title IX now is when I just see a little five-year-old girl and she scores a goal or hits a bucket and just fist pumps and runs up to her dad or her brother or whoever and is fired up about it um, because that's just a natural thing. You know, before she doesn't know any better. She doesn't know that before maybe she wouldn't have been allowed to do that or allowed to play. And um, those moments, I think, are just huge. I'm thrilled. I get so excited when I pass by a soccer field or a t-ball field and I'm seeing little girls playing sports, playing soccer, softball, baseball, basketball, and knowing that they are growing up just like the little boys are in this country, the exact same way, compete, competition, have fun, and, uh, and learn a lot of valuable lessons along the way, and know that you can be a WNBA player and have a profession at that, making money. I never had that opportunity. I would have loved to have had that opportunity. But it thrills me to know that little kids, little girls grow up today having the world open to them. It is their oyster. It's always been that way for boys and men. Now it is that way because of Title IX for little girls and women. When I took the job, I realized I was being a trailblazer, but I didn't really understand that magnitude until I, until I until I was actually in Memphis, there were times that I was at games, literally the games going on, and there'd be little girls that would just tap me on my shoulder um, and say hi, you know, waving and, and waving like you go girl or um, yes, you know, they were so they were so inspired by me, and I got so many messages through DMs, um, met um, women before and after games, met little girls before and after games, and I just felt the magnitude of of who I was and who that and how important being there, being present, um, showing myself as a female leader um, in that environment, how important that was to that community. And, and I know how impactful that, that, that was. And so I felt that magnitude by being there. My aunt played here from 97 to 2001. And um, just to think that I'm able to be in her footsteps today, um, a softball athlete here at FSU, and it just means so much to me that I have the ability to be here and not only be here, but have a scholarship to play the sport I love. Macy, how about you? Oh, it means the world to me that we're able to do the things that we love. And um, I agree with her that it's amazing to not only be in a school where it's you're getting a great education, but you can also um, encourage other little girls that you can play the sport that you love and make a career out of it. That's a great point because little girls see you guys and come to your games and want to be like you. Um, Anna, what's it been like for you and, and how grateful are you for the opportunity? I'm extremely grateful. I mean, just growing up, like just seeing all the people before me and all the women just wanting to be like them and knowing that it's possible. I think that is a really cool part. And, and just being a role model in the city and in Louisville, just all these girls, like they said, look up to us. And it is really cool just to maybe spark that and, and some younger girls below us. For you, Macy, was there anybody that you really saw or maybe even now that still in, inspires you to continue to want to do more? Yeah, I think for me, it would just be the women's national team. Um, they've really set the bar for like what it means to like fight for equal pay and fight for everything that we deserve. Um, so I would say just 
like watching them play and watching them fight for what we deserve has been amazing. Michaela, one of the things that we've talked about with softball is just the visibility and the primetime games and just how much exposure it's gotten lately. You've been in an era where it has gotten that exposure. And what's that been like to see the game grow? It's honestly breathtaking. I remember as a young girl, I couldn't find many softball games on TV yet along. Um, Today we're on primetime on ESPN and to think that this is even imaginable is just amazing. The amount of support that we've been getting from people that um, have never seen softball before and are finally getting into softball and supporting us, it's been tremendous and I'm super excited to see where it goes. Futures bright. Wow, terrific stuff, huh, Pac? Yep, yep no question. Yep. No question about it. Uh, great. Great work by everybody at ACC Network, and in particular across the ESPN platforms and networks, celebrating the 50th anniversary of Title IX, and look for more coming up in the next week on that as we get to the pivotal exact date of the uh, Title IX amendment in this country that allowed women to compete at the highest level, equal to their male peers as well. Uh, Pac, coming up, uh, top of the hour, i, I got to be honest with you, I'm pretty excited about Devin Leary joining this program. Could become the Devin Leary show and, is what and, forget forget just an appearance. He's just going to take over the whole show. Is what he's going to do. Well, here's the thing, and because we're able to get Devin Leary, we've got a, a bit of a change here. I want you to know this. I just got this in my ear from Josh and Angela. Devin Leary joins us now. Devin, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Good. Are we catching you before a tea time here? What's going on? <laughs> No, not quite a tea time. Not quite a tea time. <laughs> Just kind of walking around, so, hanging out. Okay. Um, so, Pac? I was going to say, it's only going to be 116 degrees uh, today, so I'm glad you're getting out early, my man. Uh, you know what? Yes, getting, in, getting in shape doesn't take long in this heat, but I know you are excited, and so is Wolfpack Nation <laughs> for the upcoming 22 campaign. Extremely. Yes, sir. Very excited. Can't wait to get to work. Um, it's been a great offseason so far um, and just continue to put in that work. That's what we're doing over here. Hey, Devin, tell me, um, I mean, I've been on campus a few times at NC State. Where exactly on campus are you this morning? Uh, I, I wouldn't say I'm quite on campus, kind of on the outskirts of campus, uh, just walking around, you know, enjoying, enjoying the fresh air. Um, it's pretty beautiful, though. Hey, what if I didn't know yeah. any better? If okay. I didn't know any better, I'd say you're walking down my street. I think I can go out in the front yard and wave at you the way it looks. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. A, it is well, really nice out here, though. Yeah. Um, yes, sir. Pac, you think you figured this out, huh? If I'm telling you, if I didn't know any better, I'm looking at the background, yeah, thinking, he's... you know what? I swear, it looks like he's in my neighborhood. Uh, you, might, you might have a pretty good uh, outcome. Yeah, I mean, Pac, I think that uh, we're getting ready to have a precedent-setting moment on Packer and Durham here. What do you think? You, you know what? I now know you're in my neighborhood. You know what? I could tell by those. <laughs> I could just tell by those trees. Nobody told me you're coming to the basement. I mean, I, 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 was watching, I was watching Devin going, man. I swear to God, it looks like my street, but I know he's not. In, I know he's not in trouble. Now, now we got trouble. Hey, I, tell you, I hope you brought. I hope you brought Tuffy with you. 
Look at that. You know what? And, and Wes, you know, Chester right. never barks when you're here. We bring in a Heisman guy, and now look what happens. I hear you. I tell you what we're going to do. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Devin Leary of NC State, live in the basement in Charlotte. When we go to the power hour after this on ACC Network. <laughs> Tune into Packer and Durham weekday mornings from 7 to 10 Eastern for the best conversations about everything from the ACC. Find it on the ACC Network, Sirius XM Channel 371, and streaming on the ESPN app.